0: Radio. Hello and welcome to the compulsive reader talk. On a deserted island where there is no sparkling blue, lapping ocean or coral reef, just devastation. This island is my prison, my empty soul. Do my friends or do they shun me? Why does every rug remind me of what I can lose if it's fallen from under me? I teach, I struggle in the tides of my world. I don't know how to float, to drift, to sing or play. Alone. We have a shamed parenthood. We, the parents, are those We must have failed. That is what they tell us as they press pamphlets on positive, successful parenting in our hands. How else can we describe our fragile moments of control in a world we are constantly adjusting? Who can we tell? Will they, the experts, someday find the key to the treatment? X-marked spot. Here it is, the problem, the cause. We have found the enemy in the convoluted terrain. It is here, silently curled into the grey matter of the cranium. We we'll have the rest of the world who gaze and judge and shake their heads those who have no comprehension beyond the perception that our actions will not work a single child, this child, was raised as that the universe with tangled mane and roaring voice, captured in fear and anxiety. I will forgive them when they understand. How quickly I will forgive them for I need them. These others who will understand me. While others wait for buses and jets to take them to other places, I sag, I fix through my days, I grab the midnight hours. Those quiet and solemn stretches. I cannot plan for another life. I cannot imagine when the season will end or how. I cannot imagine me being me again. How would I give me back to myself? Will I know how to live again? I can remember no other life, but I know I have tasted other joys, other sorrows. These are yet, and I strain towards them. Reminds me that I have lived It's and free For if I grasp the memory And say, it, Then I may believe That I could find it once more So down the narrow corridors Of sleep I fall With a hollow echo Of desperate rest Dreamless surrender Stretching towards joy Hoping to find That dark and ancient Place of wonder And I'll read a lighter one to show that no life is totally without joy or at least clarity in the weirdness. This is called the neurotic spaz. He's like a child playing hotspots when the rest of the world can see the way that he can't. He stands where he's told to begin and gets the first bit right. Then someone tells him to keep going and he hasn't a clue what they're talking about so he wanders off. This wandering off doesn't bother me in the least but it frustrates the hell out of me and the rest of the world. We're all thinking, why can he not see what is right in front of the eyes? I go through all the scenarios from vision impaired to the neck impaired. On to Lady Unmotivated and Careless. The older brother, Luke, has just given him a new title, Neurotic Brand. Bronson is not at all insulted by this. He earned his new pet name when we're out shopping. Luke gave Bronson the job of holding the trolley in a corner of the local Westfield shopping centre while we looked at things. The simple fact of being there gave him a terrifying sense of exposure that he only barely controlled. Then he was given the job of actually navigating the trolley through the shopping centre. Holton was able to manage the appearance of being, like any other teenage male, right up until I wandered into a shoe shop to make a serious decision about the shoes I should buy. He was standing outside the shoe shop with me. While I was at the back of the shop, while I could see the anxiety escalating by the glazed look of terror and impending doom in his eyes, everyone else was it. Any other teenager would have looked sullen and bored. Bronson looked anything but those things. He came unstuck when he came to me at the back of the shop. This meant Bronson was left alone at the entrance to the shop with the trolley. Now, for any other teenage, this was particularly have been annoying and produced grumbling impatience. But not Walton. Really. There he came with the trolley. His only object in life was avoid the humiliation of being looked at strangely. He bumped the customers and banged his shoes, staring straight ahead through the late night shopping crowd to reach his comfort zone, me. Not caring one week. That the comfort zone of everyone else had been utterly destroyed by a teenager on a mission through the narrow aisles of the crowded shoe store. Luke looked up with amazement, taking this sight. Mum, he's an erotic fan, he declared. The erotic fan was undeterred by the look of horror on the face of his gobsmacked brother and sweet up a little collecting summer sandals and the customer's handbags with trolley wheels on his run of terror to freedom. His face held the look of drama to, to speak. You expect from someone fleeing from some brutal tyrannical regime if the arms of amnesty is national. I can't explain how clean the embarrassing traverse, a crowded shoe shop with a huge trolley, rather than lean on me dancing as few minutes away and find usually indifferent to the teenage male. Even after this debacle, we, who had never let anyone get picture of him, now we took Bronson to get a hot chocolate while I went to the ladies in the chemist. This was an opportunity for two brothers to hang out. It was also another opportunity for me to lose my birth which I managed on a regular basis in my hurry to return to Bronson before he became confused and walked home. At the tender age of 15, I was sure he had covered more miles than kids young, the marathon running farmer. Any toilet breaks or sidetracks from the routine with Bronson had me acting more like a neurotic fan than Bronson himself. When the two brothers returned with their hot chocolates, Luke had not watched his amazed, confused look and took great pains to tell the how it had taken 10 minutes for the neurotic fans to discuss the problem of putting sugar into the takeaway chocolate cup. Mum, the spaz swore blind if the cup was collapsed if he took the lid off to put the sugar in. Welcome to my world, I said. Leaving ended in true Asperger's truck style when we arrived at Luke's car in the car park. Luke takes great care of his car, unlike his mother, who has a bend on every panel. Bronson, with his Asperger's tunnel vision, had decided to bring the trolley to the back of the car on the left hand side, which was too narrow to fit the trolley. His brother explained calmly that there wasn't enough room on that side. Between the two cards, and to bring it around to the right hand side. Bronson was incapable of comprehending. In the face of glowing logic, he continued to proceed along the left side. He had already been anxious about the outing, and as the anxiety increased for him, the understanding decreased. The more instructions he is given, the more muddled he becomes. Instead of arriving at enlightenment, he got the trolley stuck between the two cars. You The expect status there, they can come in way, shouted Luke, showing his hands, heavenward. Because Luke went round to the right side of the car and Rolson could visually see what his overall brother was talking about, he backed out and came to the other room Luke. was shaking his head. "What did you just have you, you neurotic if He politely inquired of his befuddled brother, on his arrival at the beauty car, it's a railway track, I said. The Asperger's mind is a ministry to the restaurant. This phrase is the closest thing that comes to explaining the Asperger's mind. I heard the expression at one of Tony Atwood's seminars. He explained that when testing children for Asperger's, if you show them a railway track, they will usually say, It's a railway track. But when you lean it up against the side of a Lego house to a window and ask, what is it now? The neurotypical children will answer, it's a ladder, and the asperges will continue to say it's a railway track. Even if you twist it into a circle and put a mouse on it to resemble a mouse treadmill, it is still a railway track to an asperges. When I run out of a logical explanation, I just say it's a railway track. Of course I can only do this if people who have had the story explained to them or someone would take me for testing. For Bronson, failing any given task is not traumatic in life. It is the expectation of doing something he doesn't understand and having people look at him that traumatises him. People are just so goddamn annoying to ask purposes. So I go through life trying to sort out what he gets wrong. He, he's what he's walked away from, and I have the agenda of solving the problem that isn't even on Bromson's agenda. Avoiding the humiliation is his agenda. Through this process, I seem to collect much of the humiliation that Bronson has avoided or left behind. I feel love like I'm following came from the Gretel to the forest, picking up the trail of crumbs in some manic attempt to sort his present life and shape a precarious path towards the future. None of the above, however, applies to guitar playing, when Bronson will keep trying until the skin fills of his fingers and he can perform flawlessly. I have often noticed that Bronson is quite impervious in to insult or verbal injury. He would rather be related openly than look at strangely, and try and work out the meaning. He holds no grudges for the meanest words imaginable, but, but will remember a sideways glance well into the next century. I remember being called into the school to attend a meeting with the school currency officer. She was a compelling woman who put fear going God into me. I was proud of the Repented and ashamed, and I wasn't even the one who it. I was greatly impressed by her, and when she walked out of the room, I was stirred and challenged. I was sure my son was similarly impressed, and would rise to the occasion. I glanced over at him, expecting to see him cowering the face and he viewed in the new sense of its consequences, when he turned to me. He only had a few words on the issue, well, wasn't she an annoying bitch? Oh, what a place to be, thank you for that. You um, picked two passages that are so different from yeah. one another. Yeah. And it's quite interesting, and I think it, in some ways, it kind of sums up the way the book works. That, you know, yeah. One is poetic and almost deeply introspective, yeah. and another is quite ironic and sort of lighthearted. sort yeah. of the, the view of a young. Um, a wise observer looking back with, with a bit of bright humour. Yes. Well, I read quite a few books um, on mental illness and on all sorts of things in nursing, and I found that if i read something that was totally the personal journey, that was all built on introspection, then I found it very hard to take something away that I could apply to either my patients or my own life. So right from the very beginning, it was a book that I was going to look out. Um, The very reason I wrote it because I couldn't find a book that would hit home for me. So I decided to write the book I wish I'd read. Mm -hmm. That you had as your own... That I wish I could pick picked up. And and I would keep thinking, I wish someone else had done it. Yes, because it's not really, it's not at all, aside from the chapters by Tony Apple not it's um, not a guide. No. It's more like a good friend who's been through what you've been through. It's that's yes. the way you meant it is a sort of true life in there you can you can get through this. You know, this exactly. is what happened. Yes. And let's laugh together because we know you know Yes because you know there there will be funny bits there, will be joyful bits there that there will be the tough times when you follow in half and say, I can't do this and, and then say no answer at all. And um, can't predict the future when you're with your children, you have a little bit of an idea, you can imagine them here or there, but with an Asperger's child, you feel like there's a barrier to where you're going to see the they'll be. And did you have, you know, throughout um, your son's young life, um, you know, this sense, of I'll always be the comfort zone, you know, he'll never be able to she leave is. this comfort zone, yes. and, and therefore I'll never have. My own space. I want like oh, exactly. to, to find my own space. No, exactly, because when I went up to the school um, and I think one thing that anyone, I think all parents would know that when you're with the child and they're misbehaving or they're doing anything at all, no one looks at the child. They instantly look at the parent and think, what's wrong with the parent? No one ever sort of thinks the child is struggling or in difficulty. And when I went to the school and, you know, they sat down, um, they said, we'd like to extend your son. And I said, what on earth do you think I want to do? Because it's my walking train he will be holding on to if I get this wrong. Mm-hmm. It's my job to make my son independent, not dependent, because that's not love, that's selfishness. Mm-hmm. So I have to give him school. I have to... And I think the thing that hits you an Asperger's child is that you have to push them away. Whereas the other one is going to throw the shoe at you and say, I do it myself. Mm-hmm. Your Asperger's child will still be chasing around saying, Well, you're doing it. Yes. So tell me what at what stage, at what point you thought, okay, you know, I've got all these you know, I've got all these some um, thoughts, I've got all these ideas, I can do something that people will help. And how did you get from that point where you you know, you have me to say to actually pulling it together into a proper book form. Well, the book, as you said, has the feel of um, the um, distinct chapters or, or distinct episodes that stand alone to really and, group. And I have witnessed that way. I thought two sessions or this situation or that. The first chapter I wrote was the letter seems to week, And there wasn't a book there. Um, and was that the real letter you wrote to Which is the real letter I wrote. Did you post that all? I uh-huh. hanged to huh. and I thought... Oh, you were know, you know, all that well in my experience? No, well, I never heard anything about it. And they didn't recall her at all. Where, when he was three, I had to write a great spree on why a child with ADD needed the time, needed more time. Um, and as I was reading through the the list that they did, you, know, if he could said, you know, that he wear nappy, that we do all these things, I thought, what's wrong with me? What, you know, I don't have to do all those things. And I thought, and yet I'm busier with him than I am with the 40-dimensional patients I go to look after. And so I started out, and I own yeah, only the first thing was really serious minded, and then it was three o'clock in the morning and I went straight to Irish and the humour and, and 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 I, but it was the truth. It was it was that he had the um, the verbal skills of a barrister and the language of a walkie. Mm. You know, that that was the essence to my son was and um it was only later on that I thought, I think I can pull this together because my nursing background will help me to make observations that are subjective enough, that objective enough, I mean, to balance out so that it... and and to know um, the legal um, parameters so that I wouldn't step into making an opinion and judgment on what I was
1: seeing. Um, Did you
0: find that 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 balance between introspection and sort of reflection was also what you went through as a parent, you know, that you were that period, yes. you know, yes. pain, and, and then sort of ride amusement at yourself and, and at your son. Oh, exactly, and I, I mean, I, my whole feeling about the book was that I was going to have a conversation with the page, it was going to just be real, it was just going to be flowing out of me. Um, mind you, I had, a mentor who I had to pay a big amount around money that was absolutely worth everything to structure it. Mm-hmm. You tell me yeah. a bit about that process. At what point did you decide, presumably you made this hard decision, um, that you needed a third person and there was another person to actually work with you to structure this book? Yes, I I felt quite lost because it was different than fiction and I hadn't tackled fiction. because I wasn't originally a writer, although I'd always done some poetry and a lot of those different things. I got up to 43,000 words and I had subjects. I had separate subjects and I thought, it would be better to get advice earlier than later. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I handpicked picked someone I rang a few people and, my, and I said, are you interested in this? Is this the type of book you'd like to work on? So that I didn't get someone who was into vampires or science fiction, but someone who would it would resonate with. And, I, and the woman I found was um, Antoinette Eklund, and she had a gifted child and a child with a disability, So she's perfect. Because mm-hmm. When I went through school, I was a gifted child, um, and I had that set of problems to deal with. And, and the um, children often have gifted elements. as indeed you sometimes really? Well, I, even Well, I, I remember even when I was at school that I thought, um, you know, the, the gifted ones are on the weird spectrum and the weird ones are on the gifted spectrum. And, you know, because... They, that way. Also note, do um, you feel that, and certainly in my experience, that, that there is at high gifted levels, there is always a disperger's element, there's always an element of the ability to hone in obsessively on Oh, something. definitely. Absolutely, definitely. Because when we went along to the first seminar, and I'd only heard about the diagnosis, I thought, you either have it or you don't have diabetes, because I knew that next to nothing. Um, and Professor Atwood stood up the front and said, now I'm going to talk about all sorts of characteristics. And as I go, every one of you is going to chuckle or have a moment where you think, oh. And I thought, oh, yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> no, not me, because, you know, that's not going to happen. And then you know, if you've got about two-thirds of the way through, sure, I'm feeling really smug thinking, no, you know, because there were teachers that a bit of this and a bit of that. And he said, um, has any of you done the complicated math problems, got the answer, and not known how you got it? Not known the working out? And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. And I never could do the working out in any other way than to get the answer which came from I don't know where mm. and then I had to work back towards because I wasn't suspicious enough that I wanted the full mark mm. for the problem and the teacher would walk past and say what are you doing Rooks? And I'd say I'm doing the working out, that's what you asked for and they just sort of looked strange at me and walked off and I thought well no, that's it. you're still getting it <laughs> And maybe by necessity, but do you think that we have a tendency to, to take a reductionist view of people in general, children especially, and say, you know, they're this or they're that, to you know, to kind of put them in a box and say that's who they are and, and limit them by virtue of that box? And even mm-hmm. with your son, do you think, you know, Spurgeon's okay, he's sorted, you know, he's defined now. I think oh, that's right. the limits of who he is. No, I didn't believe in who he has. I just, you know, when he was diagnosed at 14, and um, I don't know if any of them believed me. Do, do you think that there is still resistance of people to, to accept that there is such a condition as Asperger's? Well, I'm really quite sure that yes, is. Probably in essence, I think, yes, there are children with that, but those that don't present um, in the more severe um, aspects, or don't fit what they think spectrum, and a lot of a lot of um, educators and people tend to think that associate Asperger's with scientists or maths or academics in that design and don't realise that there are a lot of experts. 50% are actually in the creative, artistic side of things, and actors, singers, you know, writers, and and all of those things, and you know that because they're either really, really good at something or it's not good at all. Um, and they said to me, your son's just useless at math and that's just not Asperger's. But it is. It is. It's good the of them. I, uh, you know, I was with math and he was hopeless. Mm. So there's been a few dots on a page a week after his first lesson. And he was playing songs for the guitar. Mm. And, and, I, and that was something that really struck me about the book because music is such an important, not only an important part of your son's life, but an important part of the overall thrust of the book as well. You know, this yes. healing yes. power. I mean, yes. he found this voice. Yes. Mm. It was almost like, as um, if it was such an essential part of him that. Um, He'd arrived without, and when that came and completed him, in a sense, it certainly gave him his first sense of success. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very hard to see with an asperger's child that they have difficulties with self esteem because they don't really, some of them don't appear to have because they're so loud, they're so aggressive, they're so demanding, um, and and quite often angry that you you don't see the anxiety until you, you, you. open your eyes a little more. And is that also part of the, the self-perpetuating problem that, you know, they're because they're presenting one set of things, the natural response is to give them the opposite of what they need. Yes, and I think, um, like, with Asperger, they won't show their vulnerability or their anxiety um, unless they trust you. Um, and, you know someone is going to be quite happy to be the poster boy for it, um, and when you think about surgeons, they're acutely shy, basically, so you're not going to have an acutely shy poster boy, <laughs> you know, it's because it's the, I want to be invisible <laughs> um, situation. I know Luke Jackson is, is a little bit of an exception to that, that he's been... But that's through the therapy and the understanding and his acceptance of who he is. Yes, and I suppose that too comes with time and it goes with time um, and, and, and in the right situations and the right environment. Yes, and I think um, and some of the parts of it, um, as with other children, they grow up without these issues. You know, it's it's not that you have to work on everything, you don't know what you have to work on. Um, There's a bit of a fear that um, quite often they're 10 years behind, they can be a decade behind, particularly with regard to employment and that kind of future, that they can tick into it at 30 when they didn't have a a sense of paying, functioning employment before then. And I suppose that's part of making that all right. It's lot yes. of being in the right environment for their their personal characteristics. What was it hard for you to write this book knowing you know that your son would at some point probably read it, you know, your son, both of them? Would oh, mean, it? Well, I was worried Well, I was worried about both of them, you know. Um, and I think that was the hardest part because I was in the school play. And, you know, if I was punished, I was put up in front of a family, which I thought was just the best punishment for me, but, you know. And whenever I was anywhere, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a non-humiliatable person. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a word, but, you know. It's just, oh, okay, you're going to do that, all right, I'm up here, that's cool, you know. Um, and oh, I don't know where I got that from, but... Both boys were kind of more than me, and they're both conservative, and they sort of thought, "Oh, help!" So um, I had got um, Joshua Farkas to talk to him about it, um, and he would come and somersault into my bed, and he'd say, "Read me a bit, but not too much." So I would I would read it, but I right from the very beginning, I said to him. Um, I will only put out there what you're comfortable with. It's, so you get into the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so you have the veto, um, and you know the, And then I, you know, uh, and then I uh, gave him the what that he could cope with. Um, what if such and such? So I actually had a conversation with a couple of the teachers at school, and got on board, and. I would come in with my dramas and with whatever and and, and have a little talk and the principal. When I was in there one day, I tend to talk quite fast and animated when I'm, you know, in the zone. And he said, looked at me and he said, Linda, are you all right? And I, I didn't know why he was saying that. And then he looked at the tissue box and I thought, oh, this must be the point where people break down. And I thought, I was really quite amused. And I said, oh, I've known my whole life life." like this. Now, this is normal for me. And then he had to ask a few more questions because it was quite a big bullying situation. And and he said, you know, you're sure you're all right? And I said, I'm sure I'm all right. And then he sort of looked at me and he said, well, what do you do to relieve the stress? And I said, oh, I'm right, actually. (laughs) I said, I've written a book. I said, you two boys are in it. <laughs> I said, you're going quite good in the end. <laughs> so the principal said, he's this lovely man, he just moaned and he said, oh, he said, they'll get Danny veto playing play me in the movie. <laughs> and the other one that was there that used to crack up whenever i arrived at the school said, I want Tom Cruise. <laughs> So I came home and I said Josh, you know, what if? And he said, well, I'd like Kurt Hammett to play me. And I said, you don't think that would be a bit difficult when you're 14 and he's three? Because Hammett is the musical hero. <laughs> yeah, so I, was like, I suppose I was having chosen a character to portray him as a kind of acceptance, isn't it? Well, it is. And, and um, we would talk around the table about you know, what would happen, and then he would get up and mimic me to a T, you know, things that I was sure I'd never seen on anyone, much less myself, which was very enlightening, you know, and um, I thought, you know, that can't be right, but my best friend was there, and I said, how's it, he and she said, no, nah, I mean you think it's doing that twenty I am never going out for a game or seeing anything, mother. No one of doesn't want to go. I haven't got a mother. <laughs> I the also though, you know one thing that comes across to me, and it, right from the start, it's you know this overwhelming sense of you know really love, and that you know the the challenge itself was well, it's not always easy, was ultimately a gift, wasn't it? Oh, it was certainly was. It really was. I mean, any time I'm talking to someone, I say it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and, and things with on too. I mean, you know, you, you are in the comfort zone, are you? No, no. I'll get, I, I mean, I will get this connection. Um, you know, I'll get 18 texts. Messages that are just, um, I, can, I can tell there's been that many calls because he'll read it, he'll read it two or three times, and that's, you know, let me know. I can ring him if I want to. So, um, and then I think with students, they don't have the, the same emotional landscape, they have the same emotion. So when he checks up on me, he'll send me a piece with his says, are you alive? <laughs> you know. Um, and then if I don't contact him, he'll get one of the names of to come and check on me as if I was perhaps 90 and maybe a fallen over and been dead for several days, You know, so, you know, so, one time, you know so he is so much more clear than that. and then his Mother's Day. Well, you know, I've got a card over there and um, he wants to know if I've worn the badge all day. Because he bought this badge. And so um, essentially, once you help them find a way to articulate their emotions, they do beautifully with it. They really do it very well. They're very humble, they're very honest. They, um, I've always said you know, that he had the most fantastic apology regime um, that I've ever heard <laughs> And that's just, you know, that's a wonderful skill. That's wonderful. <laughs> so I'm still waiting for the older son to actually get an apology and get Joshua at about seven or eight would, you know, stump a hole in the wall and go banging off somewhere and then come back and say, well, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm a complete <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like he had plenty of opportunity to practice it <laughs> <as well>. Yes, <laughs> and I said to him, you well, my those down because you don't need them when you get a girlfriend. <laughs> Unless, of course, she's dead, which could work for you. <laughs> now, as I mentioned, um, you're not the comfort zone anymore. You've got a bit more space around oh, yeah. you. Um, there are other books in the works, other things that you're planning to do or want to do. Oh, yeah. I've got, I've got. Um, well the one hook that was taken up first, A curious, and then only childhood, which came from the stories that I've worked on the making of Australian website. And um I felt that I got into such a soapbox um mindset and crusader with the Aspergins that I decided I'd write a romance that didn't have any attachment to any body or anything. Um and because I wanted to learn that flow because that structure was, you know, trying to fix it after it was all separated was really difficult. So I wrote 2,000 words a day for four days and at the end of five weeks had 53,000 words mm-hmm. romance that I had sort of timelined and done all that with and a little bit of a spoof because... The hero rescues the heroine from a beautician's chair that runs a so it's <laughs> a bit modern. But um, I wanted to learn, because I do want to keep writing, and um, what I'm working on at the moment is about a father and daughter relationship. Um, and the mother had committed suicide because she hadn't been able to cope with her bipolar and so um, I'm working with the, dyna- the dynamic that um, before we grieve or before we lose someone we think that it's like like the Lego men or uh, that someone sits out of that place and everybody just moves in a bit Whereas well, it's not like that at all it, you know all of the cars are thrown in the air and all of the relationships have to really be re- that it's really um, a very deep process that is um, much more complex just than just the mere closing the gap for that person and do you feel that you know many years of nursing that you had allowed you to see some of these um, oh, yes. situations and yes. the experiences